You are listening to the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and video clips of these lectures online at edcorner.stanford.edu. So, a really great pleasure to introduce uh, Anna Patterson to you. Anna, um, think of Anna as somebody who's on the frontier of one of the most interesting phenomena in human history, and that is the explosion of content that's available to us all on the web. If you think about the promise of the web, going back to the first time you heard of Google or the internet, the promise was easy access to information. The problem, fast forward 10 or 12 years, is that easy creation of information and easy indexing of information just was, is, is not the whole story. So, so Anna has built her career uh, first at a company called Recall that she built and sold to Google, which actually turns out to be a good thing to aspire to do in your career. Um, uh, uh, then at Google, where she was a, a lead, held leadership positions in both um, some of the indexing, key indexing functions like Google Base, as well as some of the ranking functions around sort of deciding what web content was going to be first, second, or third in the, in the, in the rankings. Big, big jobs. Um, uh, she's really on the forefront and the frontier of trying to organize the universe of information that's out there and make it accessible to folks. And we're really thrilled to have her here because she's going to talk to us about her new venture, which is called Cool, spelled C-U-I-L but pronounced Cool. And we can maybe hear a little bit about what the origin of that is. Um, uh, she's going to talk to us about that venture. And we're going to learn what it's like to be one of the few people in the entire planet who sticks their hand up and says, I can do it better than Google. So, um, so uh, oh, I should also say where you went to school. Um, uh, Anna earned her PhD in computer science at University of uh, Illinois, and um, then she became a research scientist here at Stanford. So she's, uh, she's I guess, coming home in a way today. So, so let's hear from Anna, and uh, thank you for giving her your attention. bring back a nightmare I had um, many years after finishing school that his announcement about people not signing up to the class, I'd have this nightmare about uh, not showing up to the final. I bet no one else has ever had that nightmare. Um, so I was trying to figure out today you know, what students would want to hear who um, are going to an entrepreneur cinema, uh, seminar. I figured um, maybe many of you are interested you know, in starting your own companies or um, being the first few employees at a company. And so um, what I've done is tried to think about uh, the startups that I've done or the startups I've been part of and uh, what were the big lessons learned along the way. And I really encourage people to uh, interrupt me um, at any time. Uh, that's one of the things I loved about Stanford is that the students uh, didn't mind interrupting. So I, I wrote uh, the talk to be interactive. So as he said, um, I got my undergraduate at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, I got my PhD from UIUC, but actually my advisor went on um, an extended sabbatical. And um, during that time, he sent me out to Stanford to be a visiting student. And then um, I returned uh, to be a research scientist. Um, everybody in those days in 1998, it seems like uh, yesterday to me, but I looked at the years today putting together this talk and realized, of course, it was 10 years ago, um, that 
um, the calls of computer science in those days were like hollowing out. We had uh, entrepreneurs like uh, Jerry and Dave, and um, I don't know how to stop this. There we go. And we had um, uh, Graham Spencer from Excite. He was pitching his ideas in the halls of computer science. And um, one of the things about all the companies that came out of Stanford Computer Science Department, of which there are a lot of successes and a lot of failures, is that at the time they were pitching uh, as a student, you know, we couldn't tell which was which. So um, I thought about putting down a slide of oh, all the companies I turned down, which everybody at Stanford will be able to do, and then all the companies you thought about joining, and you'd see that actually, you know, my taste wasn't so good. Um, <laughs> so, um, so it's very interesting to be um, at Stanford because I think um, one of the great things was the entrepreneurial spirit um, at Stanford. So um, I wasn't uh, alone in, in leaving Stanford to go to startup land. Um, I left first to go to Sfera, then I did my own startup. Then I went to a nonprofit at the Internet Archive, and um, I'm going to talk about each of these experiences. Someone else's startup, and then cool. So uh, on my personal journey, um, these are my four kids, and um, I thought as a student I would never have any, and uh, there's no good time, but there they are. So. Uh, <laughs> um, so first when I joined uh, Sfera, I was the second engineer, and um, as I said from my taste, um, it was a, a very um, interesting company doing applications for, um, for stockbrokers, which really wasn't my thing. Um, I did learn, though, at that small startup that it doesn't really matter if you're five people or eight people or 20 people, that um, you know, management is, is really important. I mean, you hear a lot about you know, self-organizing companies and, um, and that management, I think the trend is that management um, isn't very important. But um, I, I think it's really key when you get into a situation where you see um, you know, management work and management not work that you learn that it really can make a difference. Um, I did a startup in uh, 1999, which was uh, Zift, and it um, tried to organize uh, the content of the web, which was very, very, very small back then. Uh, five million pages was considered big. So we had a five million page index in uh, 1999 as a proof of concept. Um, and uh, I learned a lot about timing, you know, that timing is really luck, and it's bad luck to have bad timing, and good luck to have good timing. Um, and, um, and so I think one of the things when you're doing a startup, one of the things you cannot, you know, get by without is, you know, execution. So at that time, the team was really good at executing and really bad at kind of sticking to the mission. It was a small company, and you can be really set at drift when you're looking for funding. So um, we had our core demo, and then you're out looking for money, and VCs say, 
oh, you know, actually that thing is, you know, your team seems great, but this other area is really hot. And then, well, we were, you know, young, just out of school, so we said, well, we'll do that other thing, right? I mean, we're good engineers, we'll do that other thing. Then we'd go out to VCs again and they'd say, really good team, this other thing is really hot, right? I mean, it was, um, <laughs> I see some nods in the audience, so um, people, you know, know what I'm talking about. And um, so we took the advice and uh, we, you know, ran out of money, we took angel money and we just went from one project to another. So um, we were good at getting the projects done and, uh, and you know, it, the market crashed and, uh, and uh, we were out of money. So timing was bad and um, kind of not sticking to your mission and, and your beliefs and sticking with what you're good at is ultimately going to be bad for your startup. Um, I went to a, a nonprofit as a volunteer um, because I actually uh, needed to be a stay-at-home mom for a while. I was having a difficult pregnancy with the second of the four kids. And um, my doctor said I needed to be on bed rest, and I said, well, can I program? So uh, it's very similar to being very stationary for anyone who does program here. So. Um, as some people do, I got into the project and I really couldn't let go. So I kept uh, programming up a search engine for recall.archive.org. And when I launched it, it was 12 billion pages. And it was by far the biggest search engine in the world. When I launched it, Yahoo was at two and Google was at three. And, um, and Recall had the interesting property of uh, indexing pages over time because the Internet Archive is a nonprofit that tries to archive all the Internet content that's gone on, and they take uh, crawls as donations. So their primary donation source is from Alexa, and now Cool is donating to the archive as well. So everything we crawl you know, will get saved for posterity at the Internet Archive. Um, so that's why the 12 billion search engine was bigger than the number of pages that were on the web at the time, because it took snapshots of the web. Um, the nonprofits also taught me amazing things about management, because you're trying to organize people who aren't getting paid. So what you have to do is you have to really inspire the employees, and that's really important in a startup as well, because at a startup, you're often underpaying with respect to the broad market. So you really need to have a team that really believes in your vision. And at the Internet Archive or any nonprofit that you get involved in and volunteer, that's one of the founding organizing principles around it is that the people there believe in the vision. And another lesson that the industry has taught you over and over again is that small teams make a big difference. But you can really, when you, you know, sit at any nonprofit, you know, they're giving books out to people who've never had books before, and they're doing um, all these very worthy causes, and um, so it's worth, you know, showing up. So uh, I said I learned a lot on the way down. You can learn a lot on the way up, too. So after the Internet Archive, um, some companies asked me whether the intellectual property for recall was owned by me since I was a volunteer. So I went off to Google 
And uh, I, I was approximately, I don't know the exact number, 800th engineer. And believe it or not, at 800, uh, it still felt like a very small company because there were some people in ads and um, some people in you know, other properties. But as far as the core people in search, it still felt um, like a startup. So I went into the search group to work on spam and ranking to deciding what uh, top 10 results are, are put on the front page. And then I managed a group there. Um, and then um, with the explosion of the web, Google decided that with other search engines launching, um, it might be better to index more pages. So I architected and led Terra Google, which is Google's big index. And that project took almost two years. Um, I also had teams in ads and ran Google Base. So um, I think there, even though it's a big company now, thinking about it as a startup, you know, it went through phenomenal growth and it grew eight times the size uh, in the time I was there. So it was really, you know, uh, managed chaos. So you could see a different style of management and you could also see again um, market timing where they got funded right before the crash. So there weren't a lot of people funded right after them. They had enough money to last as Excite fell and AltaVista fell. And um, they had an amazing product, but they also had uh, really good luck in terms of competition from startups and good luck in terms of you know, either bad acquisitions where the Excite and at-home merger uh, was strange, AltaVista um, being spun off out of deck. So, um, and I learned uh, also a different style of execution, um, more similar to the Internet Archive, you know, where it's ground up. And um, I think one of the amazing things um, about, um, you know, succeeding at Google is uh, sticking to your mission. So I learned a lot of the same things again, but um, you know it was very kind of it was really nice to know that the same lessons that you learn on the way down you learn on the way up. But um, so now I'm doing cool. I have two co-founders, Tom Costello, who got his PhD from the Department of Computer Science at Stanford. Uh, he got his PhD from John McCarthy in uh, knowledge. Uh, what is it? Um, representation, yeah. And Russell Powers from the University of, of Washington. And uh, he was with me at Google. So um, this time, um, we actually think we're a little bit, I know it sounds strange, a little bit lucky on timing because uh, we did get to raise money and now um, I hear that it's harder to raise money right now than it was uh, nine months ago. So I hope no one's graduating soon and wants to start a company. <laughs> um, so we, we launched our, uh, our V0 site uh, this summer. And um, it's a 125 billion page index. And I think um, Michael Deering, when he was introducing me, um, noted the explosion. So um, Luckily, it's in engineering, so you won't mind that I plotted on a log scale. But uh, 
don't, don't plot on a log scale for VCs. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so uh, the web has grown super exponentially because it still looks like an exponential even plotted on log scale. And you can see when each of these uh, properties came on the market. So when AltaVista came on the market, it indexed over 50% of the web. And um, when Google launched, it indexed about 50% of the web. So as the web has grown, people, you need to buy a certain amount of hardware in order to index a certain amount of information. And so obviously you can't just invest exponentially in hardware. So um, search engines really haven't kept up with exponential growth of the web. So we thought that provided an opportunity for Cool because uh, rather than buying more machines, Tom, our co-founder, actually did some mathematics in order to come up with um, a mathematical model about how to build a search engine differently. So a uh, standard search engine is built um, as a scatter-gather architecture. I don't know how many people know that uh, terminology, but basically it would be um, like asking every single one of you the same question and you guys emailing me back the answer. So you scatter the query and you gather up the answer. So um, he came up with a, a representation so that you didn't have to scatter the query anywhere that uh, over 95% of queries could just go to one machine. And um, with that, it means that you can have uh, architecture that's entirely on disk instead of in memory. If I have to ask every single one of you a query and you're all computers, then I'm going to have to use the memory because it's going to take too long in the latency of the network to get the uh, question out to you have you compute the answer and get it back to me. So the latency is high, so the computation on each of the machines needs to be low. So he said, well, let's spend the latency instead going to disk and doing lots of computation. So um, it does lots of computation on the mathematical model in order to figure out the answer. So that's why on 140 machines, uh, we can serve 125 billion pages. And uh, trust me, Yahoo and Google use more. Yeah. Are those commodity machines? Yeah. yeah there are eight gig machines, 12 disks. So one of the main resource limitations is also the number of queries per second you can serve. Yeah. It's actually bigger from the point of number of machines, right? Um, so when you have you know, one cluster and it has to go to each machine, then you're really limited to 1,000 QPS. <laughs> because uh, per cluster, because you just have to get every query through every machine. Whereas here, since queries go to different machines, then um, you can have more QPS. Um, so the network isn't working. So um, I think one of the things about um, building a search engine that has so many pages is you don't want, you want to uh, break through, through from um, a single list into uh, tools that try to help you sort through the information and to tell you about the information. So in our, our first 
uh, launch, what we have is we have you know tabs at the top to try to put down put different ideas um, automatically filed in different buckets, and then we have um, some categories over here where I always forget you know what the Harry Potter books are. So if you hover over them, it'll tell you what um, what book that was in the series, Deathly Hollows. I don't know six. I don't know. Um, so um, we've, we've learned all this information on the web automatically. And so it can help drive um, finding out more. And so what we're trying to get towards is um, the computer thinking about all the information that comes back from the search and synthesizing it and processing it in a way to let you interact with it differently. Interact with it you know, through uh, graphs, interact with it through um, different um, methods. So first we extract all this structured information uh, in the back before we even um, serve information. Part of the mathematical model needs to learn about the structure of the web. So we actually go through, not just one time indexing it, we go through the web 12 times. And that provides um, the basis for the serving architecture but it provides a way of um, organizing the data. So we're working now on different UIs to try to let people see what's behind the data and analyze it for them. Um, let's see, lessons from starting this company. Well, we were better at raising money than at Zift when we uh, had a vision that floated around a lot. Um, the, Strange lesson we learned was that uh, um, the day we launched, nothing else happened in the whole world. We actually talked to very few reporters, and then we heard that the day we launched, we got like 300 television spots that day. So um, in Ireland, they'd say an angel passed, which meant everything was dead silent. Um, and the other lesson is that you know predicting user patterns, I think, a lot of startups um, do this of, you know, just try something, see whether users like it, and um, that's a really good model because it is very hard to predict from focus groups and, you know, some in-house user tests, what people are really going to like and what they, what, they, what they don't. So that's my half an hour of advice to uh, starting entrepreneurs. Yeah. Why would someone use Google as a, as a, as a solution instead of Google in, in terms of different users? Um, I think one of the things is that we're trying to um, show you, you know, the meanings of the search. So if you search for Tesla, um, instead of, you know, letting like one meaning kind of overtake all the others, we really try to, in the search engine world, it's called diversity try to show you, oh, actually, there's different meanings for that, and here's kind of a result in each of the meanings, rather than saying, oh, all the popular Tesla things mean the cars, you know, um, which isn't really popular outside of Silicon Valley. Sorry, Vince. <laughs> he knows the founder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, John, you're late. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> okay. Um, I have two questions. Yeah. First, uh, you talked about 
bad timing and like yeah. good timing and like if you are lucky then you would have good timing. Yeah. How can you reduce that luck factor? Yeah. And then my second question is, it looks like um, the inner mechanism of your product is something that Google would be really interested in like using because yeah. you would like reduce their hardware cost very significantly. Yeah. What's your thoughts about uh, what's your what are your thoughts about being acquired? Okay, so um, repeating John's question, uh, first he asked, second he asked what my thoughts were on being acquired. Um, and um, first, oh, sorry, yeah, I know. Um, okay, so um, could you repeat your first question? I hate to do a Sarah Palin on okay, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How can you reduce the luck yeah. factor? Yeah. Um, well, one thing is, you know, if you have friends that are investors or friends that are entrepreneurs or friends who are going through the funding cycle, I think that you need to listen to them. I think, you know, there wasn't too long ago where I really heard from a lot of my friends in Silicon Valley, oh man, you know, two guys with PowerPoint, it's time to get funding again, you know, because um, back in 1999, that was kind of the feeling, you know, two guys, an idea, PowerPoint, um, no revenue model could, could get funding. So it was just, um, you know, those, when everybody else is raising money, it's usually a sign that the VCs are funding at that time. And then, um, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, super concrete things, I mean, you can read VentureBeat. It's open and public, and they talk a lot about the deals that are happening. And so if you don't see deals printed there like every day or every few days, then um, you know, it's, it's going to be harder. And they also print stories about um, you know, good companies that, that failed to uh, raise money. So, um, so that's a source you can use beyond you know, your friends in, in the class. Um, and as far as getting acquired, I mean, we're, you know, we're trying to focus on the product. I think that um, if you, you know, a lot of companies are built to be acquired, and I think what happens there is you leave yourself in a really vulnerable spot because you're growing and you say, hey, I won't hire that expensive whatever, VP of whatever, because, hey, man, any day now we're going to get acquired. And then your product winds up uh, suffering. So I think you need to really um, want to do the company because you don't know how long you're going to be at it. And luckily, I've been in search a long time. I know I want to stay in search. So you know, it's fine with me, whatever happens with a company. But you have to um, focus on, on building the product and making the product better and you have to focus on building a sustainable company. Yeah. How many venture investors did you speak with? And when you present for the venture investor, yeah. you make a presentation, and maybe a small part of that is about the technology. Yeah. How many, I mean, some venture investors say just eight slides is enough about different topics, but yeah. how many slides did you actually present about the architecture and technology? Yeah, um, how many slides did I present about the architecture and technology? I, I do believe when you're talking to VCs, I aim for 10 slides. So 
I kind of don't count the title slide in that. I don't count the slide at the end that you say questions, question mark, or whatever. But, you know, 10 slides in the middle. Uh, architecture and technology, probably three. Um, you know, some, uh, some venture guys are just deathly interested in technology. And those are the, probably the ones that get along with me, and some, you know, aren't. So, you know, they're more interested in the team and on the plans and uh, ideas. And, you know, and with a lot of these guys, right, they're quite, I think one of the things that you forget is a lot of these guys are quite wealthy. They have their choice of good ideas that are going to make them money. It really is about the fit from both sides. You have to work with them. They have to work with you. You guys have to click. Yeah. How many did you meet with? Oh, how many did we meet with? Um, let's see. Um, a lot of people offered us funding. Uh, so for Series A, I, I think we had five or so offers and maybe two rejections. Some people you just don't get very far down the pike with. Um, so that's probably about it. And then for Series B, we uh, contacted around the same number and then wound up seeing five people. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware, but I think last year Google filed a patent for voice recognition on search. So yeah. I don't know if you're doing anything in that direction or what are your plans on that, because that's where the future is going. You speak and then yeah. you recognize us and then it was. Um, you know, when I was a student, I did. Um, a search engine uh, when I was a graduate student that was really, this is the thing about the computer science department, I was completely made fun of because I did this search engine where you would hum into it and it would <laughs> match the song because I was really into music and I kept going into music stores saying, you know, that song, and I'd like hum a little bit of it and they never know. But um, <laughs> then, so I did a search engine where, you know, I indexed the, uh, you know, the wave files and, um, you know, if you hummed at pretty much just the right beat, the tone didn't matter. That's what humans were thrown off by um, with me. Um, it would come up with some songs and, you know, if you preferred more recent songs, then, it, you know, it was pretty good. And um, I got really, really made fun of for my early interest in search. Um, but. As far as using voice for search, I think it's going to be really great for, for mobile. You know, you can use your location, some keywords. It's very hard across all cultures, all accents, and everything to get voice recognition just right. But um, really naive, and I mean people in the area would say they were naive algorithms, can get words like restaurant, you know, because <laughs> you have a fixed vocabulary that, of keywords you're looking for, and then you have the more expanded vocabulary. And so you can use the keyword you recognize, uh, like restaurant and then Evia, to say, okay, restaurant, it narrows it down to these, these restaurants and, and they have to be close, etc. So um, I think it's a good idea, but. I hope to see that feature in your stuff coming up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Two questions. Um, one, have you thought about location-based search yeah. Interjects and second, um, you know, AdWords, obviously, and, and that revenue model is something really cognizant of. Where is your revenue model? 
Yeah, we are going to have an ads uh, revenue model. Um, we haven't turned on ads yet because, you know, we think the product, um, you know, needs more work and we have limited engineering resources. So it's just part of a management decision to uh, slot in ads a little bit later. Um, and um, about location-based search, I think that for every uh, web page, if you can know a location, I think it's very good and it's something um, that we have a project on. It's not something that we have in our index uh, right now. Yeah. So, so in light of current economic conditions, I wonder what changes you have made to your, your spend, your timelines to uh, yeah. revenue, break-even acquisition, and maybe even changes to your mission. You'd rather not change, but in light of what's yes. happening, you might. Um, what we've done is we have, um, we're so old, we actually um, tried to make plans and stuff. So right now, um, we are actually um, looking out on a nine-month time horizon and looking at uh, changing our plans and even changing the time we bring on revenue. And, um, and we're looking at, we had a hiring ramp, and uh, we're going to slow the hiring ramp that we projected. And um, as far as slowing the spend on money, uh, on, on <laughs> money, yeah, on, on machines, we're going to do that a little bit, but, um, you know, we, we launched with enough machines to launch. And then you can't kind of run a factory and also do development uh, to, you know, to make the factory better. So we're really buying the minimum number of machines we can get away with in order to make the product better, but also keep the index fresh. Um, could you talk about what motivated you uh, about the privacy policy that yeah. uh, was mentioned? And it's really exciting. I just read it and it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that motivated us is the technology. Because what, um, what we do when we go through the web in order to come up with the models of the pages and the way the concepts and the ideas on the pages interact, um, we realized, you know, we wanted to get away from some of the staleness you see on the web. So direct hit, a lot of people don't remember it, but you know if you clicked on uh, um, a result, it would promote the result. If people didn't click on it, it would uh, demote the result. So you can imagine if something ever got to the front page, essentially it gets some clicks, it would always stay there. So um, I think one of the amazing beauties about the web, when I remember the web when it first came out, is that there was always this artful page on whatever, Harry Potter. And what you know the world created was always changing. The, the main fan was always changing. And so the pages were always changing. So I really wanted to make a conscious effort to uncover those, you know, those zealots out there about their particular topic that changes over time. So um, and I did a lot of mining at the archive to see these, these things change over time. So um, when we made that decision, we realized we didn't actually have to track um, you know, any individual user habits. So it actually came out of the technology decision. We realized that um, because we'd made one technology and product decision, we could make this other decision on the privacy. You mentioned earlier about uh, uh, sort of like a management payoff 
yeah. memory base of Google. Yeah. What do you think that drives Google to pick up this unconventional uh, management style or internal operating style? Um, and uh, do you think it's more of an asset? And uh, whether you're using sort of the same style in your new company? Yeah. Um, so he asked whether uh, a more chaotic management style was an asset. I mean, I think when your company is growing really fast and when you need to um, react to outside um, uh, you know, events, I think a chaotic management style is really great. I mean, I think if you have a mainframe type business where everybody puts in their orders ages in advance and asks for certain features, then you have to like meet your customer needs and, and you have to manage your engineers to meet those deadlines for their customers, whatever, whatever the banking customers are, whatever they need in that quarter. Um, but when you're trying to, you know, just now, uh, the other question about, you know, um, the, the market, I think when you're trying to react to um, the changing dynamic marketplace, I think it's really nice to have more flexibility. Where it's not like, oh, these engineers are totally on plan and no one can leave and, you know, so it's not, it's, it's a lot more free-flowing and not, I have my 20 engineers and don't take any of them, you know. Sort of on that same line, a lot of people talk about the culture of the company and how they try to hire people to fit that culture. Yeah. What What was your ideal and your ideal culture that you're trying to? Um, well, I mean, one of the thing about uh, our culture, I guess. Um, so my uh, Tom is from Ireland. I'm an Irish citizen as well. So I would kind of joke around and call it a pub culture. Um, that it's not that we go out drinking. It's more that. Uh, you know, conversation, people have to be able to hold a long conversation and they have to like being together because you're together just so many hours. So we are, our first interview, I think somebody blogged about it last week, but our first interview was taking the person out to lunch because um, if they can't hang with us for one hour, three people at lunch, then the N hours a day we're going to have to spend with them is just going to be no. So um, we really try to go for, you know, something that looks good on paper, then they get, they get into lunch, and then um, just, you know, fun to talk to. I mean, they have to be able to talk about movies and, you know, whatever. I mean, I know it sounds strange, but you always get off topic when you're, when you're working, and you want somebody that has, um, you know, somebody who's nice to be around. And then we like people that um, have had other projects. Um, we find, you know, like a lot of undergrads who have a small project on the side or have consulted or whatever, we find that the kind of people that have, you know, multiple balls in the air um, are great and people who have been at other startups um, are amazing. Yeah. Um, can you speak a little bit more about your UI design? Like what made you come up with a column layout? I yeah. Know, it's something that's popular in e-commerce but not really seen in Yeah. And what has your user experience told you about that? Um, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, uh, if you're concentrating on a linear list, then what you're doing is you're really concentrating on um, pretty much the top hit or the top one or two hits. And so, you know, what we tried to do is, um, you know, if you study user studies, um, you know, they say the hot spot of the eye, if you do eye tracking studies, 
or is in a certain realm. And in that realm, um, on a linear search engine, you're going to see ads and one hit or ads and two hits. And um, because we're trying to you know, promote um, diversity of information shown on the web page, you know, the first hit you know, might be you know, Tesla Motors or something, but um, the next meaning might be the one you wanted. So we actually were trying to show you the most information, and we actually played around with um, you know, a two-column design and, um, you know, or different ways of interacting. And, um, you know, I don't think, you know, it's one of the things that you get to do when you're a startup is to say, you know, we'll start here and we'll evolve, you know. And, um, and actually the interesting thing is that because there's more magazine layout, some people think the top middle hit is the first hit. Some people think the top left. But they're not, um, but on the eye tracking studies, people aren't reading it as linearly. They're kind of going around in a circle. Do you think that will help? Um, you know, if you look at Google Heat Maps, like, you know, most of their uh, clicks are on the top left corner, yeah. whether it be your, the number one organic hit or yeah. AdWords. Do you think that will help your, um, you know, your revenue model for ads in the future since people are kind of looking everywhere? Um, I, I think that. Um, the thing that will, you know, hopefully help ads in the future is that um, because we go through the web 12 times before we even present the information, we kind of have a lot of knowledge about what the topic is about. And then hopefully we'll be able to see, okay, from this ad, what is that page about? And just basically be able to do uh, better matching. I'm not very familiar with Cool, but from the uh, first point of view, um, first view, sorry. Uh, what I really like is that you work both on the architecture problem, and, but also on the user interface and the user experience. Would you say that that it's the you know technology uh, problem or the user uh, experience that's the core added value of Cool? Yeah, I think um, the point about you know being able to save current search engines money is true only for uh, the architecture. But um, if we didn't have the architecture, we wouldn't be able to serve up you know, um, as many pages. And like a one billion page search engine right now feels like a toy, um, if you've seen them around. Um, and so really, we wanted to build a web scale search engine, so we had to solve the first one. But we think the user experience, it's all tied up. So at a lot of places, you know, you have user experience group and you have a ranking group, but here there's a lot of stuff in the index just to drive user experience. So if you don't own your index, you don't really own your user experience. All you can do is, you know, reorder them or whatever, but all this information that we know and how we can drive interactions uh, among the results is all because we own our own index. On, on the back end, architecture, it seems like a lot of the stuff you've innovated on is uh, organized around the idea of uh, trying to use disks efficiently. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you've got thoughts on how that changes when SSD is yeah. everywhere and you can set up a cluster like that for you know, the price that cost you to um, it costs you to bring it. What costs a tenth? Uh, I don't know about a tenth, but. Um, I think when you have, uh, you know, basically random access disks um, that are, 
you know, then going to be much cheaper than um, memory per, per gig. I think then um, the architecture that's currently used um, is going to be good again. I really don't know what um, those devices, you know, latency are, are now, but I think in the future, you know, going out 15 years, I think that, you know, where um, the current architectures will be fine, but that um, all the information and the data mining uh, and the mathematical models will still hold. Um, as a startup, how important do you think uh, it is to have just the right team and the right product versus <coughs> having all sort of the, the bells and whistles of you know, knowing the right people and, and branding and marketing and, and all of that? Um, I'll pretend Vince isn't here. Um, I really think having the right team and, <laughs> and uh, I think having the right team and the right people um, is important. I think, I think knowing someone is important. I don't think that um, there's been, you know, so many startups created by people, you know, who weren't insiders, um, and uh, and so I don't think it's important. I think it becomes important to know people, um, actually, when your startup isn't going perfectly, because then you can leverage the other students and your network of trust to say. Yeah, well, we're just going through a hard time, but we know what we're doing, and you know that kind of thing. So, um, if you're trying to raise money, you know, in a down round, or you know, like a lot of startups are doing now, I think the ones that are being successful are the ones who are leveraging their their networks. Yeah. I'm a little curious about the part of the Y taxonomy. Yeah. Building in both areas, zero, and Yeah. you talk a little about? That and, and this looks like 88,000 matches for Harry Potter. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think our live page says a lot more than that. Um, this picture was taken a long time ago. I thought I'd have uh, live access. That's fine. No, that's fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what we're trying to do is to say, um, of all the things that we know about this posting list, uh, you know, all the results that come back, um, you know, what are the categories that kind of get triggered um, for each of these things? So we've pre-computed um, in the data mining phase um, a bunch of relationship, you know, author of, book seven of, series, that kind of stuff. And then we've put things in into categories, and then we just see naturally from uh, the results that come up and then the ranking. So, because sometimes, you know, if, if the results come up for Harry Potter, maybe the most popular category might be hotels, because there's maybe so much hotel spam in Harry Potter tales somewhere. But then you use ranking and then try to trigger the categories off of um, the most popular pages, the most popular million pages. Yeah. So sort of the idea of having a huge index seems a little counterintuitive to me. Yeah. Um, like to, to what extent do you see pages in the long tail of that that like aren't indexed by other search engines appearing on the first page? Yeah. And to what, to what extent do you use those for calculating other things in a, in a, a pre-pass before actually returning queries? Yeah. 
Um, so anything that we see beforehand, we've kind of calculated in a pre-pass. But it's also really hard to predict what content people will want tomorrow. Kind of the way uh, query patterns work is, you know, that some little town in Germany is having an Oktoberfest, and all of a sudden it's popular next week, and you know what? It's not going to be popular again for a year. So when you're trying to predict um, the patterns, you know, the, basically the best um, predictor is random. And so if the best predictor is random, then, you know, if you see a web page, you, you better index it. So, yeah. I'm curious as to how you and the uh, rest of the filing team met. Was it at Google? And uh, specifically, did you look for the person that was perfect for the job, or did you resort to people you already trusted and you had like, relationships with? <laughs> Uh, I resorted to people I trusted, <laughs> but I wouldn't call it resort. It's a, a feature, not a bug. Um, so um, I, met, um, I, I met Tom at Stanford in 1994, and um, I met, Google, I met uh, Russell at Google in 2004. He started a week before me. So as such, um, he knew everything, and I didn't, you know. That's how fast the company was moving in those days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going off of this question, um, just because it's so hard for you to make use of like results in the long tail for a generic web search, yeah. this cool thing about opening up its index or like creating some type of platform for developers to add their own like annotation and government add their own like relevance rankings to actually make use of some of those. Um, I know you know um, Google did something like that under Guha to allow uh, people to make, um, let's say, a rare childhood disease search engine or whatever by people who are really interested in that. Um, I think that's for uh, a startup you know, where um, focus and priorities has to come in. Um, and for us, um, actually surfacing stuff from the tail that's really, really good is, is kind of our focus rather than trying to return um, you know, the same sites that everyone else sees. So we're trying to kind of pick up these gems from, from nowhere. Yeah. Um, so I have a question about uh, searching. So I was um, walking with a friend of mine by the lake here, and we saw this, like, weird animal on the ground. And we were like, what is that? And she was like, I'm going to take a picture with my iPhone. Yeah. Is that possible to insert that picture as your query and get results just based on that picture. No, but I, I, think, I think I like is trying to do that for shoes or something like that. I like, you know, so if you see like uh, Jennifer Lopez's shoes in a magazine or whatever, you can, yeah, you can try to figure out, yeah. So when you're at Google, how, long, how much earlier were you thinking about the idea for Cool, and what was the final spark that said made you decide I'm done? Yeah. Um, so, well, what happened is, um, as you saw the picture of the, the four kids, I was coming back from maternity leave with my fourth kid into a company that was 16,000 people. And I was coming back to an org of, you know, uh, ranking and their live site and Google base and ads project that was launching. Uh, and it was really, really overwhelming. Um, and, you know, I knew I had to simplify. So there was, you know, two paths to, um, you know, 
give up a bunch of groups at Google or you know start something small and just at that time Tom was out looking for funding in the search space and um, and he pitched me this you know new mathematical representation and because I had built search engines before I was intrigued whether it would work and um, and so I was it was pretty sold by um, the mathematics yeah I'll take the last quote oh there's one there um, how did you come up with your name uh, cool Tom is from Ireland and uh, cool is um, the declination of call and that's the Irish for wisdom So uh, maybe last question, and I know you're going to be uh, hanging around for uh, uh, follow-ups from the students, but what advice would you give Jerry Yang about the search business today? Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, when I first saw uh, Microsoft's offer, um, I felt it was really great timing on Microsoft's part. Jerry had just stood up to his stockholders and said, you're not going to see the share price for three years. And if you see the share price in three years, it's because we're going to be good at executing on this new plan. I think um, based on their previous history, executing on a new plan wasn't super, super believable by the shareholders. And so I think Microsoft came up with a good offer at a good time. And if I were Jerry, I probably would have taken my uh, management team and said, okay, now like, Seriously, guys, is, what about this plan? Is it going to work? And probably would have had an off-site with them for a few days and then gone home and cried all weekend. I know, for a guy, you can't say that, so maybe not for Jerry. Um, and then on Monday, I would have taken the offer. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, he didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, in, in, in some ways, maybe he even landed in a worse spot, which is he both rejected the offer and somewhat abandoned the original plan for upgrading and, and overhauling the way they approach search and advertising. Yeah. Now, today, we, or in the last 24 hours, we learned that Google is no longer going to be right. offering them their services right. to help out. What do you do now? Yeah, I think, um, I think he would... Gosh, I hope he doesn't see this. Um, no, I, th I think he should get back to um, basics. And he has some trust to be re rebuilt with his engineers. I think when you're talking, Microsoft wants to buy you because your engineering uh, force is so great, and they are. Mm -hmm. and, then, um, and then he says, but actually, you know, we're going to outsource it to Google, leaving it kind of vague so the engineers felt they weren't valued. And so now you're going to try to rev up that team to, um, you know, to believe in the mission again and to press forward. I think it's going to be very, very hard, but I think um, that's what he has to do to get things back on track. Makes sense. Uh, so thank you very much. I know the students have a presentation, and I thank you from the class. Okay. Thank you.